Grace and peace to you tonight. Last meal, but denied having anything to do with his death. Anthony Hardy, CBS News, Chicago. Researchers have chosen an experimental drug by Eli Lilly for a large Alzheimer's study. What was that? Aimed at preventing Alzheimer's disease in older people at high risk of developing it. Oh, okay. All right. Thought the rapture was happening for a minute there. Are we ready? Uh, I, I used to have a saying when I was pastoring that if you showed up on a Friday night, you're either faithful or you're paid. So if you're not being paid to be here tonight, you would be in the other category. I'm very impressed that you're here. Thanks for making the time and, uh, and being in worship. I, I think tonight the Lord is going to speak to all of us. And I also want to say that I... I appreciate the way that this revival is being talked about because nowhere have you heard the phrase, the revival is almost over. What you're hearing is, is these revival services are coming to a close, but hopefully the renewal and the revival and the outpouring of God's Spirit is going to continue long after what happens in these services, both on the campus and at the church. And that's really what revivals are there to do, is to just get us all moving the same direction and and listening to God. And I, I, I'm just convinced of this, that God speaks to the people who keep showing up. It's amazing how often you hear, you hear somebody say, well, I, did you hear about that service last night? Or did you hear about the service this morning or whatever it is? And no, I didn't. Well, God really came and God really moved. And, and the truth is, you got to keep showing up. To hear God's voice, and you're hungry for that, and I, I really do appreciate you being here. Let me give you just a little background of this text that we're about to read together. You know that the Bible is not a book. The Bible is actually a collection of various books and various forms. And it's, that's the reason why we don't tell people to read the Bible like you would read a John Grisham novel. We don't say start necessarily in chapter 1 and go to the end of the book because it's not written that way. It's a collection of books. And so you usually don't tell a brand new Christian start in Genesis and read all the way through because somewhere in Leviticus it's going to get really, really lonely. So, uh, but as a collection of books, they're different forms and they have they all have various purposes the way they, you could say, the way they function in a believer's life. Now, all of Scripture, all 66 books, we believe are inspired by God, which means they are God-breathed. And, and yet, the way God breathed these Scriptures to us, uh, that, that they are perfect in every way necessary for our salvation, they're inerrant in all things necessary for our salvation. In other words, they, the revealed word of God to us is given so that we could understand how God works in our lives and how uh, we, we will know then how to live. God's word for the Hebrew people was considered to be an incredible blessing. Even the law, and sometimes we look at the law and we say, the law seems so hard and overbearing and legalistic, but for, but for the, the ancient Israelites, the law came as a blessing because now you have showed us how to live. You've showed us. That's why the law is as sweet as honeycomb to us. It's, 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 like, it's like taking something sweet into our mouth. It's a gift from God, his word to us. 
But we have then Old Testament narratives. We have the Pentateuch and the Torah, and we, we have the historical books, and we have the prophetic books, and, and we have gospels, we have epistles, we have apocalyptic books, and, and various things in between, and they all have different expressions. There's wisdom literature in the Bible that the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the book of Job, they, they are guides for living. But the Psalms are unique. Because in the Psalms, uh, the Psalms functioned as the prayer book for the people of God in worship. And they would use this almost like their hymnal. They would, they would read through these Psalms in all of their worship gatherings. They would pray them. They would sing them. And for the most part, every Hebrew person, every Jewish person would know the entire book of Psalms by heart just like you would know a lot of the songs that we're singing by heart. They would know them by heart because they read them and prayed them and sang them in all of their worship services. And, and so it, it wouldn't be uncommon for maybe uh, someone who is going to be a priest, they might memorize all of the Torah. Uh, we, we've heard historical people have told us about people who had memorized the entire Hebrew scriptures all the way from Genesis to Malachi. And and so this was the word of God for the people of God. And that's usually how I introduce the text. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God, because it truly is God's gift to us. But here's what makes the Psalms so unique. While all the other scriptures you could say are God's inspired word to us, the Psalms, as it turns out, become our words Back to God, which I think is very cool of God to allow the words and the prayers of the people to become a part of his inspired word. And God uses them to inspire us and encourage us and strengthen us. But he allows prayers that are prayed to be a part of something that we're reading now thousands of years later. And that tells me that God has a lot of trust in us, that he takes us seriously and so as, as we read psalms, you begin to realize that even while there are a variety of different kinds of psalms, that, that these are the words of God's people back to God, and God says, says yes to that. Are you with me so far? And so now I invite you to turn with me to one of the most sacred psalms in my view, Psalm 22. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 22. And I really do want you to keep your Bibles with you and open so we can refer back to it through the rest of this sermon. Some of these words are going to be pretty raw. It's one of the things about the Psalms. They're very honest. And they're unfiltered. And God seems to say that's okay too. But Psalm 22 Normally, I would ask you to stand as a way to honor the reading of God's word. But I, I just want you to sit and, and hear. If you just want to listen, you can. If you want to read along, you can as well. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, 
and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. So do not be far from me, for trouble is near. And there is no one to help. Now listen to these metaphors. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. You see the metaphors here, the symbols of they're symbols of suffering. They're symbols of pain. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him. All you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And this is the word of God for the people of God. And we all say together, thanks be to God. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said together, amen, amen. Where were you on September 11th? For your generation, that's something that forever will be burned into your mind. Uh, even before, my, before I was born, I have my parents tell me, I can tell you exactly where I was on the day John F. Kennedy was shot. Um, I can tell you a few places I was in, in tragic moments. I remember where I was when the space shuttle Challenger blew up. 
I, I remember where I was when I heard that Elvis Presley died. I was sitting in a barber's chair. I, I was probably only five or six years old at the time, and I couldn't understand. Suddenly, people were weeping all around me, and Elvis Presley died. You remember where you were when Princess Diana died? You remember where you were when you heard that Columbine had happened? There are these events that, that shape us and are forever burned into our memory. And, and for me, September 11th was a day like that. I, I was actually sitting with my prayer group on that morning. And we were, we were doing like we normally did, reading the scriptures, praying, sharing. And all of a sudden, one of the staff members burst into the room. And he said, quick, quick, turn on the televisions. Uh, one, of, one of the Twin Towers has just fallen and shocked. I mean, we turned on the television and we watched that replay of the plane slamming into the side of the building over and over and over. You know how they, and the smoke and the billowing. And, and then we watched live when the second plane hit the second tower and it just felt so surreal. Do you remember that? Were you watching that? And I, I remember the, the screaming and the, and the sirens and the sense of disbelief and shock that everyone had. And, and we, we went home and we got all of our kids around us and we just watched for the next couple of hours. And one of the scenes that's burned in my, into my memory is a scene of a woman running, weeping through the street. And she's looking for loved ones. And and as the camera pans in on her, she starts saying these words. Why? Why? Why, God? Why? And that's the same question I think people asked a few months ago when a shooter came in on the premiere of Batman in a Colorado theater and gunned down all those people. I know that's what I was thinking even a few weeks ago when the school shooting massacre right near you in Newtown, when that happened, there were people who were asking the question, why? And not just asking, why did he do this? But, but the more theological question of turning it back to God and saying, why did this happen? Why, why did you allow this to happen, maybe? If you're a good God, if you're a loving God, if you're a powerful God, why, why do things like this happen? Those are questions. And for me, the why questions turn out to be the most searching and the most tormenting of all. As a pastor for 20 years, I, I've heard that question asked so many times that I've been in the room when a mother has just delivered a stillborn baby and I've heard her say, why? I've watched parents rock babies who died from sudden infant death syndrome, and I've watched them rock their dead baby and cry out to God and say, why? I've been in the room when people have gotten diagnosis from their doctors, and I've heard them say, it's terminal. I've, I've been in the room with parents who read and reread the suicide note written by their teenage daughter, and they read it over and over and with tears streaming down their face, they ask that question that haunts us. Why? Why me? Why, why this? Why, why now? And I think that 
it would be fair to say that many of us in this room have asked that question. It's a question that we ask, especially if we've done our very best to live in a certain way, to be good people, to follow God's will, to walk in his steps, to walk in the light that's given for us. And and yet the reality is no matter who you are, no matter how good you have been, we are all confronted with deep suffering. And, And it is in those lonely, anguished moments When God at times feels the furthest away. Almost as if he has forsaken us. Forsaken. This writer of Psalm 22 definitely understood the feeling of being forsaken. We we do not know the situation that prompted the writing of this psalm. And we do not know who it was that was suffering. Some people would say that it was a psalm of King David. But we're not absolutely sure of that. But knowing the, the life situation and knowing the, the author of this psalm is not necessary. To arrive at the meaning of what the message of the psalm is. This is clearly a person who is in deep pain and deep despair. And it's a person who is crying out the painful question. Why God? They are in deep distress. And the way that they're talking, it's like the threat of death is very near. And and yet, even in the midst of the distress, in the midst of the possible death that they're facing... I, I don't think those were the core issues. I don't think they were at the core of the question. But what seems to be at the heart of the matter more than anything else for the writer of this psalm is the overwhelming sense of being forsaken by God. Where are you, God? You've been there before. You've You've been there when I needed you before, but now in this moment, I feel alone, I feel desperate, and I don't understand. And that's the fundamental question of this psalm. The silence of God was deafening. And it seemed that when he needed God the most, that as far as he could tell, God was nowhere to be found. And we know that God has been there before because according to the psalmist, God had been very near at certain times. The psalmist even tells us that that God, he was dependent on God, he says, from my mother's womb. He had known God since he was just a child. But now in this time of crisis, those, those memories of the past, they just seemed distant. And the only perceived reality for him was that distance that he was feeling from God. And now more than anything else, what he's praying for is, I want to know the the experience of your presence again. I want to feel your nearness again. If I just knew you were near, I could put up, I could at least deal with this, this problem. Now, let me back up for just a minute and tell you this. The Psalms are a collection of different types of prayers. They're not all one single form of prayer. Uh, We have praise prayers or Hallel Psalms. Have you ever heard the word Hallelujah? That's where we get the songs of praise to God. We have Thanksgiving Psalms. We have imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory psalms are the psalms you, those are the go get them God prayers. When somebody is really on your case, you start kind of praying in a certain way for God to do something about it. 
There are royal psalms, uh, the songs you sing to the king. There are psalms of ascent that you sing when you're enthroning the king. And, and, there are, and of, those, of those psalms, praise psalms are a very common prayer. Those are the songs that you sing and the prayers that you pray when life is going well. When the bills are being paid and the kids are getting along and, and the job is going good and your faith is riding high. You've got great confidence and expectation when, when God's presence just seems to be there and, and you just say, thank you, God. There's a lot of the Psalms that are thank you, God prayers. But the second type of Psalm that we have in the Psalter, as we call it, are the lament psalms. And they are not the praise prayers. These are the pain prayers. These are the prayers that we pray when things are not going our way. It's, you know, it's not a problem to praise the Lord when everything's going well and the pressure is off and the stress is low. But what do you do when it's not going well? How do you pray during those times when when the stress is high and the pressure is great and at times you feel pain and frustration and, and you're dealing with suffering? I love the fact that the Bible shows us a way to pray even in the dark moments. And the prayers of lament actually give us a form to pray to God in the worst moments of our lives. And as you read through these these pain prayers, there's two major questions that are being asked. One is, why? The other is, how long? Why is this happening, God? And how long is this going to happen? Now, it's interesting to me that of the, how many Psalms are there? I want to see if we, let's see if any of our students here. I'm proud of you. What's your name? Liz? Dr. Malice is right there, and he's very proud of you, too. 150 psalms. Out of the 150 psalms, what percentage of them would you say would be pain prayers? Lament psalms. 50-50? Would you believe that 70% of all the psalms of the Bible are not psalms of thanksgiving. They're not royal psalms. They're not ascent psalms. They're not imprecatory psalms. They're not hallel psalms. They are lament psalms. 70%. Not only that, it's fascinating to me that in the arrangement of all the collection of prayers, that the pain prayers always come before the praise prayers. You know, those of us who think in terms of like quick fixes and easy solutions, that bugs us. If you like your faith to be very black and white and easy to define, and, yet, and if you like your faith to kind of fit together like a nice puzzle, this is going to bother you. Because we love the promises that God is going to bless us. We love the promises that God is going to prosper us. But when life gets unfair... And when God seems slow to act, it's hard. We'd rather pray the prayer of Jabez than we would the prayer of lament. I also think that's why the evangelical church, particularly in the United States, has not paid hardly any attention to these psalms. 
You will not find many, many books on lament prayers in the Christian bookstore down the street. We just don't like dealing with uncertainty. We don't like dealing with mystery. And we certainly don't like dealing with questions. Especially when it comes from God. I remember when I got the phone call that my friends had just lost their baby girl. She was three months old. I rushed to the hospital and there she was holding her infant daughter in her arms that she had known for three months. Rocking her, holding her, kissing her. And knowing that they were going to bury her in a few days. I remember when we had that funeral and the casket was about this big. Caskets aren't supposed to be that small. And we were worried about them. And yet you know, they were good, wonderful people, good Christians. And I noticed that for about the next couple of weeks they were in church. And then I didn't see them anymore. And I didn't see him for three weeks and four weeks. And finally, I got really concerned. I made a phone call and I said, we've been missing you guys. Are you, are you doing okay? She said, we're doing fine, Pastor. I mean, it's the best we can. And I said, well, I've been missing you in church. And she said, well, we'll be back to church someday. But she said, we just can't come right now. And, and, and then she said something that's haunted me ever since. She said, Pastor, it's like every, all we do at church is sing praise songs. All we do is sing happy songs. And I don't feel like praising God right now. I, I'm sad. I'm hurting. And I just like to come to church once in a while and, and just sit in God's presence and be quiet. But I can't take all the happiness. Would it be okay if I didn't come to church for a while? And it kind of broke my heart because I realized that even the way we plan our worship and we design our 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 times together corporately, we don't leave room for lament. We don't leave room for people who are brokenhearted to express their pain to God. We don't like these prayers. And let me tell you why I don't think we like them. Because they lead us into the unsettling realization of how life really is. It unsettles us. And they lead us into the presence of God where everything is not always polite and everything is not always sanitized. And maybe worse, they lead us away from this comfortable religious claim of our hour in which everything has to be managed and controlled, especially our life with God. But my brother and sister, listen, Christians are never promised exemption from hardships. Christians are never promised that they're going to bypass suffering. Some of you will never understand suffering until you give yourself totally to God. You will not find that in scripture or in experience that life with God will go unchallenged, that there, that everything will go your way. We live much of our lives in lament. And the Bible says that's okay. We don't always have to understand. There are times we're going to stumble in the dark. We're going to face our trials. We're going to face our tribulations. That's a part of what it means to be a human being. That's why we've sung about Jesus tonight who understands our trials, who himself walked in those dark places. 
And I would even suggest to you that according to these psalms, that most of us can never fully understand how praise works until we have first walked through and understood what lament means. True praise, according to the psalms, comes out of lament. It comes out of the dark moments when we had to trust God, when we couldn't see God, when we were having to walk by faith, and when we realized that he saves us and rescues us and redeems us, even in those moments, then we say, thanks be to God that he is with me in every moment of my life. And that's a hard thing to understand. We want faith where there are no questions I've even heard some go so far as to say that if a person struggles in their faith at all or wrestles with questions that that they're not living in faithfulness to God. And it's always amused me when people say that it's like if I don't tell God how I'm really feeling, maybe he won't know. I just won't say it out loud, even though I'm confused and hurting and my faith is kind of waning. If I don't say it, God won't get mad. Really? God doesn't know what you're feeling. You think you can tell God one thing and he not know how you're really feeling. Lament prayers, though. They say differently. Because while lament begins as a cry of desperation, they always, all laments. I can only think of two lament prayers in all of the lament prayers in the the Bible. Only two that are not this way. They are all rooted and grounded in a deep and profound trust in God that he is coming to the rescue. Faith is the very reason for lament. If you don't have faith in God, you can't just cry out to God and say, God, I know you can do this. So why isn't it happening? You have to believe in God for that to even happen. And they are grounded in faith because they insist that the world be experienced as it really is, not in a pretended way. Listen, Christians, Christians don't live in a pretend world. Our faith is in a God who is present in and participating in and attentive to all of the darkness and the weakness and suffering of life. And through this lamenting, a transformation takes place. And and I don't mean necessarily of the circumstances, but something happens in the child of God who is choosing to be honest with him. It is utter dependence And reliance upon a God who may seem distant, but is never absent. That's what lament says. You are here with me. Did you know that God is not an egomaniac? You know what an egomaniac is? That's somebody who needs you to always kind of compliment them and build them up and it's always about them and the only way you can be their friend is if you're always kind of exalting them god's not an egomaniac meaning he's not the kind of god who says i won't bless you unless you praise me rather god says would you come as you are 
Would you come with your questions? Would you come with your insecurities? Would, would you come with all of your pain? Would you just come on in with all of your doubts? I want you to be honest with me. Because this is a real relationship. And if you lament for a while, understanding will come and wisdom will come and healing will come and peace will come and faith will be born and praise will be given. Would you be honest with me? That's what God says in lament prayers. And my brother and sister, it was the son of God who taught us those lessons best. Jesus is the one who taught us that it's okay to just ask why. And he taught us that at the most critical moment of his life as he hung dying on the cross for our sins. There were three crosses that day. On either side of Jesus, they were thieves. Jesus was in the middle. And even though it was the middle of the day, the Bible says the sky had been dark since noon. It was now so utterly black that the Roman soldiers had to light torches around the crosses to even be able to see. It was the middle of the afternoon in total darkness. And it was then that Jesus spoke. And he said, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Savakthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, somebody said, listen. He's, he's calling Elijah. And somebody else said, no, listen, I think he's calling this person. And, and then finally somewhere, I don't know who it was, but somebody said, no. He is quoting the scripture. Jesus was praying a pain prayer from the Psalms. He was actually quoting Psalm 22. And you knew when I read that psalm a minute ago that that's where you'd heard it before. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was what Jesus prayed from the cross. You see, it was a custom in Israel that whenever somebody wanted to refer to a particular psalm in the whole prayer book, all that you would have to do is recite the first line. And then everybody would understand the rest of the meaning was intended. And we do the same thing. I'm, let, me, let me practice on you. O oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. What am I referring to? I'm sorry. How great thou art. How'd you know that? I didn't sing the whole song. It's because you know the first line and you know the rest of the song. Let's try another one. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace. How'd you know that? I didn't sing the whole song. It's because you know the first line. And you know when I say the first line, the whole psalm is intended. That's exactly how the psalms function. And Jesus understood that. 
And when he breathed those words from the cross, every scribe, every priest, every Jew, every friend would have known exactly what he was saying. Even his enemies would have known what he was saying. And in their minds, they would be frantically racing to try and figure out until finally it dawns on them. Wait a minute. Still, even nailed to the cross, his faith is in God. Still, in the middle of his suffering, he relies on his God. Now, I may step on somebody's toes right here. But you love me anyway, right? How many times have you heard it preached? How God abandoned Jesus on the cross? How many times have you heard somebody say, Jesus was forsaken by God because he took on the sin of the world and God cannot look on sin and the wrath of God because God was so mad at you that Jesus took all the sin and so God just beat him silly and God couldn't look on his own son and so he had to turn away. And when God turned away from his son, that's when Jesus said, why have you left me, God? Why have you forsaken me, God? Have you heard that? And I've always wondered, what kind of God would turn his back on me in my worst moment? Listen, God does not turn his back on Jesus on the cross. How could he? This was God incarnate on the cross. You can't separate the Trinity. God was hanging on that cross. But in Psalm 22, as a prayer of lament, you also know it is a prayer of trust and it is a prayer of hope because it does not end in disbelief. Think about the way this psalm ends. I think Jesus did feel lonely. I think he felt He felt frightened. I think he felt the crushing weight of our sin. I think all of that was in play. But do you know how this psalm ends? He has not ignored the suffering of the needy. He has not turned away. It actually says that right here in Psalm 22. He has not turned away. He has not walked away. He has listened to my cries for help. God is here. God has not forsaken me. Do you hear Jesus saying that? That's what was so surprising to everybody around there because they thought people crucified on a criminal's cross, they are being rejected not only by us, they are being rejected by God. And and Jesus says, yes, this is terrible. Yes, this suffering is more than you can imagine. Yes, it's heartbreaking. But my trust is in God who I know is with me because this psalm does not end in defeat. It ends in victory. Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane has been answered. In Gethsemane, there had been doubts. Yes, there had been fears. There had been questions. But now every question had been answered. That God was there with him in all the horror and agony of the cross to share in his suffering and anguish. As only a father can. 
And the awareness of that reality reached so deeply into the heart of Jesus that before he breathed his last breath, he was able to say with deep assurance, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You are here. I trust you. Is it any wonder then that the people who arranged the Psalms for us would follow Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With another psalm that says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. You want to know why? Because you are with me. Isn't that good news? You are with me. When my high school daughter, Megan, was the same Megan that, you know that Megan. (laughs) She was a junior in high school and she was going through a really difficult bout with mono. And she was sick for six months So sick, there was not a day that went by that she was able to hold her food down. She lost nearly 20 pounds, and she didn't have 20 pounds to lose. She was skinny. And we took her to numerous doctors and even underwent two surgical procedures, and she was really down. And I was surprised at how positive she was through that time, and One Saturday night, during the middle of that sickness, Megan said, Dad, what are you going to preach on tomorrow? I said, well, I'm going to preach on questions people have when they're suffering. And she said, Dad, I've had a lot of those questions through my sickness. I've even asked God, why is this happening to me? And Dad, there was even a time when I was angry with God. For not taking this away from me. That was the first time I'd heard her say that. And so I said, Megan, tell me, how how did you get through that? And she said, well, I just kept praying about it. And over time, I I felt like God said to me, listen to this. This is a 16-year-old girl. Sometimes I'm going to take you out of your problems. Other times I'm going to walk with you through your problems. But either way, she said, God told me, I am still with you. I said, Megan, that'll preach. (laughs) You know what she was saying? I don't understand why I'm going through this. I still have my questions. But the one thing I no longer doubt is that I'm alone. God is with me. I was at a pastor's retreat 10 years ago, and there was a guy there by the name of Brennan Manning. Brennan was sharing some stories, and he told me this story. He said, when I was pastoring a church, there was a woman in my church who called, and and she said, would you come over and pray with my father? He's dying of cancer, and he doesn't have long to live. He's sick in his bed. And I just would feel comforted if you'd pray with him. And he said, I'd love to do that. And so he said, I went to their house and I walked into the bedroom and there her father was laying on the bed. 
And he said, I noticed that there was an empty chair pulled up next to the bed. And so I thought he was expecting me. And so I walked in and said, hi, I'm, I'm Pastor Brennan. And I see you're, you've been waiting on me. He said, no, I didn't know you were coming. He said, well, I saw the empty chair. And he went, don't say anything about the empty chair. Shut the door. Come in. So he said, I shut the door and I came in and he said, you know, that empty chair. I, I've, I've tried to pray to God a lot over the last few years, but it just seemed like all of my prayers would go to the ceiling and they, they weren't getting through. And I wasn't sure I was ever talking to God. And one day I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, you know, I've done something for a while that's really helped me. And that is I've pulled up an empty chair next to me, and I've just envisioned Jesus sitting in that chair, just talking face to face with me. And, and he said, maybe you should try that someday. And so he said, I did. I, I pulled up the empty chair, and, and it really works for me. I, I talk to Jesus, and he talks to me, and I can go for hours now and feel like I'm having a conversation with God. But he said, I don't want to tell my daughter about the empty chair. She may send me off, off to the loony bin, he said. <laughs> Brennan said, can I pray for you? He said, I'd love for you to pray. They had a word of prayer and he left. And three days later, he gets a call from the girl. She said, my father passed away this afternoon. He said, oh, how did he die? Did he die in peace? He said... She, he really did die in peace, but right before he breathed his last breath, he did something very interesting. He leaned up in his bed and he put his head on an empty chair. Peace. Do you know peace? Even in the midst of your darkest place. If you're here tonight and you're experiencing some pain, some grief, suffering, and you just got some questions, and maybe you even feel kind of forsaken, I want to remind you of something. That's okay. God can handle your questions. He is not afraid of your doubts. He's not intimidated by your concerns. And he welcomes your honesty. And he welcomes you in all of your weakness and your, and your fear to put your head on an empty chair and say, I know you're with me. And tonight, if you want to come and just pray honest prayers, even pain prayers, you have a God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Do you bow your heads with me? This is a pretty sacred moment because this is really a sermon for the church. This is a sermon for the, the people who follow God, who have put their faith in God. It takes a lot of faith to ask God why. Because you know he can make a difference. Tonight, if you're carrying a burden, 
for yourself, for another person. doesn't really matter. And even if you're a long way, a long way down the, the journey toward comfort, and you just want to come and just say, God, I'm just coming to say, I know you're with me. I just want to put my head in the chair. Then it's okay for you to pray tonight. Let's stand together. If you want to join us around here, we're, we're going to close this time in prayer, whether we're seated out here or praying at the altar. But there's just something comforting to me about a place to pray. Nothing magical about the altar. It's just a place for you to bend your knee and talk to God. So as we sing, if you want to come, let's do that. Lord, could save themselves, their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. save themselves their own soul could heal our shame was deeper than the sea your grace is deep you alone can To you alone belongs the highest praise. For you, oh Lord, you made a way the great divide you far away your love went further still yes your love went further still cause you alone can rescue you alone can save you alone can lift us from the down to find us, let us out of death, to you alone belongs the highest praise. Bow your heads one more time, if you would, and we're not going to sing anymore, but there's some open places here, down in the front pews, just while we're waiting for a minute. Anybody else just want to come and pray? Just want to come and talk to God.
Aren't you glad that God can handle your questions? Aren't you glad God isn't intimidated by any doubt? He's a big God. And I think it would be great to have our pastor come and pray this closing prayer for us. Pastor, would you come and lead us? Would you be seated for just a moment? And we're going to pray this final prayer. Lord, we thank you and we praise you tonight. Sometimes we uh, praise you when we're on top of the mountain and as we've been reminded tonight that sometimes it's through the valley of pain and difficulty and unanswered questions. So Lord, your, your people have heard your word tonight. We've seen it heard it told and and we say thanks be to God thank you that right now you are you're ministering to people just like you did on those two walking on that road to Emmaus who, who should have should have been on top of the world but yet their faces were downcast they were they were wondering what the future was going to hold but you walked right alongside you you listened to them comforted them long before you talked to them. You let them talk. And so I pray, Lord, that as we pray around this altar tonight, that we would not only be still before you, but maybe there's some, maybe there's some question prayers that need to be prayed tonight. And so you just do your work among us. And I pray that in a few moments when we leave this place, that we would go out of this world knowing, knowing in our hearts, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And even when the questions remain unanswered for a time, you know, that's not how it will always be. So help us to hold on to the God who comes to us. So Lord, we love you tonight. I pray even before we fall asleep tonight, and maybe when it's the quietest that it's been all day long that we would breathe that prayer to you and we would tell you that we love you and that we would just hear you say you are my child thank you Jesus in your wonderful name we pray amen if you want to come and pray you can still do that and if you need to slip out and go Welcome to do that. If you could just kind of visit in the back, that'd be okay. Let's just keep praying. Stay as long as you want. Let's listen to the Lord tonight.